that's an educator, that, that is certainly a goal, that the children are able to develop skills that allow them to see things differently. Coming to you from Arlington Independent Media, I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. My latest academic crush is on a professor at Lancaster University in the UK. Panos Athanasopoulos works on experimental psycholinguistics, experimental cognitive linguistics, bilingual cognition, and linguistic and cultural relativity. Now, this is a show all about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. So why am I geeking out on a Greek psycholinguist? Well, because I read an article about a panel on Latinx culture in Pittsburgh, and that got me thinking about my children's bilingual education in Arlington. I have always known I could offer my children many things, but facility in a second language is not among them. So since the elementary school down the street provided two-way immersion instruction with half the day taught in English and half in Spanish, it was a no-brainer to enroll my kids. Research at the time suggested that people who speak more than one language recovered more rapidly from stroke. So if nothing else, it was good health insurance. But it didn't take long for me to see many more immediate and exciting benefits to their bilingual education. Which brings me back to Panos and an analogy he makes. We don't need two eyes, he says. We can do just fine with one, but we see in high definition when we use both. And language is the same. We see better and literally perceive things differently when we can operate in more than one language. And you don't need to be fluent to feel the effects. His research showed that language use, not proficiency, makes the difference. Along the same lines, Susan Aaron Tripp, a feminist and pioneering psycholinguist at UC Berkeley, found that human thought happens within what she called language mindsets, and that bilinguals have different mindsets for each language they speak, and that speaking more than one language offered individuals multiple opportunities to flex their cognitive conflict muscles to resolve the sometimes creative tensions between those mindsets. It's like going to the brain gym. And that's where curiosity comes in. One of the things I loved about my children's dual immersion education was that it never occurred to them that there weren't at least two ways to think about a thing. Their little worlds were expanding in like double time. Two weeks into kindergarten, the elder was incredulous when I didn't know my colors and espanol. And the younger learned to read in Spanish first because it was easier to decode than English. But it wasn't until Choose to be Curious that I started to wonder about the effect of bilingual education on curiosity or vice versa. So I went back to the source. Marlene Perdomo is the principal at Key Elementary School, Escuela Key in Arlington, Virginia. And back in the day, she was my son's teacher. In between, she was vice principal at what's now Washington Liberty High School and served as the world language supervisor, foreign language specialist, immersion and ESOL teacher in Arlington Public Schools. 
She is a 2009 graduate of the Education Policy Fellowship Program at the Institute for Education Policy in Washington, D.C., and has collaborated with the Center for Applied Linguistics in the development of the National Guidelines for Dual Language Education. It's a considerable list of accomplishments, but I think her greatest achievement, based on my years of observation, is her ability to excite children about themselves and learning. So welcome, Marlene. Wow. Thank you for that introduction, Lynn. (laughs) It is really uplifting. Uh, And thank you for inviting me today. Oh, I'm so excited to have you here. I can't even tell you. So I knew you first as the teacher who taught my kids to see the world differently through not only a new language, but also math and science, things that they have both pursued. As an educator, do you think of yourself as helping children see the world in new ways? Uh, that's an excellent question. I, I think that as an educator, th- that is certainly a goal, that the children are able to develop skills that allow them to see things differently, not in one dimension, but mm-hmm. right through language and exploration of culture that they realize that the world is not one dimensional. Yeah. So you you grew up in Colombia speaking Spanish. When did you learn English? It's an interesting question, Then I'll tell you a quick story. I woke up one day, my parents said, and overnight, and I announced in the kitchen that I, I, I was speaking some strange words. And my mom said, what are you trying to say? And I said, well, I learned English overnight. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and they used to tell that story because they found that I was really curious about how other people spoke. Like I, I if, if a, a movie or, you know, then uh, some Peace Corps volunteers used to live, uh, come to the, our town, they were doing some work there. And my dad finally was so tired of me saying that I spoke another language that he, you know, had me take some classes with this ex-Peace Corps volunteer that eventually moved to town and stayed for a couple of years. So I, I, I learned some basic English when I was maybe seven or eight. You know, I, I didn't pursue it until, again, until I went to secondary school, which in Colombia is, is uh, obligatory. And then I majored, you know, in the university. That's what I wanted to do. Always wanted to do something related to languages. But yeah, I was monolingual until, you know, I was a teenager. Wow. And so did you have a sense that learning a second language was changing how you thought about your world or the larger world? I did. I I always found very, uh, I found it very, um, I don't know, like enticing. I, I wanted to, I, wo- I wondered how is it that people are able to communicate in other words ever, you know, since I was young, I wanted to know words in other languages. Just, I remember clearly my dad was a council uh, town member and uh, there was a problem with the community, we had some indigenous populations that until then, they had been denied so many rights. And when he took me to one of these meetings, I remember clearly just listening and zoning in the conversation that these uh, leaders were having in their own language. And and people didn't want that. Like, naturally, you had proper Spanish. But then for me to hear them communicate. And I was like, how is it that you can say things in another language and still understand each other? (laughs) So uh, it always peaked, you know, that curiosity always stayed with me because I I do think that 
you know, early on when you're exposed to the, it just lets you think about things differently. That certainly happened to me. So curiosity brought you to multiple languages. When you think about uh, curiosity in this sort of bilingual context, what, what comes up for you? I mean, what did you think when I asked you to have this conversation? <laughs> well, I, I didn't really know what to expect, but I, yeah. but I do think that, um, you know, just trying to link the two and knowing the amazing trajectory that your own children have had and how supportive you've been of our program, I, I do think that there's that matter of, you know, I wonder what is the impact? What in the longer run, when parents make this commitment, which can be scary, right? When you're yeah, making a yeah. commitment for, to something that you don't quite understand, but to say, I, you know, what would have been, you know, would they have chosen a different path if they had not been bilingual and exposed to uh, other cultures and ways of thinking? And, the, you know, you never really know what impact it has. So, you know, I, I was, I was very curious to come on <laughs> the show. And talk to well, the, you know, I mean, for me, the things, the questions I started asking myself were, were sort of the obvious things where it starts out with, well, how do you say X, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that it sort of forces you to pay attention to the ways that we do say X and that maybe there are other ways of saying X. Mm -hmm. So I think right there, there's a you know, to me, that was the first thing that sort of came to mind. And then, you know, I was just thinking about the extraordinary experience of the, particularly for my kids who came from a monolingual English-speaking household, the exposure to a different world, that mm -hmm. half of their classmates were native Spanish speakers. And most of those kids' families were recent immigrants to the United States. And so their life experiences, their home experiences, their perceptions of the world around them were were pretty different. And so the idea that you went to school and you were surrounded by people who were a lot like you was never part of their experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And not all of the kids have that experience, but most of the children in the program have that experience of being, of spending time with people who are not like themselves and sort of celebrating it. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you think that has an effect on their willingness to delve into the novelty around them. Definitely, I do. I do, and I saw it as in, in the classroom so many times I think I think human beings are naturally inclined to helping each other. I I I mean I just that's what I I believe. And when you are in a classroom where you're trying to make meaning of the you know the lesson or the content or the situation, I saw so many examples of kids gravitating toward each other, trying to help and negotiating language. Right when you have somebody who's um, not understanding an exercise, a problem, or a, you know, some something that they have to do with math, and then somebody else is there trying to help explain to them in their native language or their first language how to do something, and then also how to um, how to explain. I, I think that that is 
you know, there's, it, it would be impossible to be in an immersion program and not have that inclination to think like the others or find a way to get to the, to, to, to solving a problem or to, um, like I said, negotiating. So many times it was just about, okay, I want the pink cubes and you want the red cubes. How do we do these? Because, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> they know that they can't fight over them, but to try to convey that meaning. And I see it time and again in, 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 the, in the program. And so I, I do think that, you know, when you're in a, in a, in a monolingual class, that aspect is missing, and you may have some kids who are acquiring English. But the thing that dual language gives you is that you have the vehicle to to com- to convey the message. You're not, you know, now you have the words, and even though the words may not totally match, interestingly, they understand each other. Like you could <laughs> have <amazing>. half of <laughs> the sentence, and the other one has the half, and because they are in, embedded in a context, right? They, it's about the cubes, so it's uh-huh. visual and it's tactile. And they find a way to make meaning and they end up with, you know, the cubes that they want. But you just it's just fascinating because the brain, I think, at that age, when they start so young, um, you know, I don't think the brain has set in its in, in like the one dimensional way. You know, like if I don't know how to put this sentence together, I don't get it. And I think also the other thing that is so beautiful about dual language is that because they start so young, they are fearless and so right because it doesn't really matter if they say it wrong I'm not the judge as a teacher I'm not there to judge them the other kids they they accept that oh so you said it with they're not there asking if you conjugate your verbs correctly because they're also forming their own language right so they don't understand that you know that the grammatical structure may be incorrect and they're you know, if somebody said, I want cube red, the other one was like, okay, here's your cube red. <laughs> right. It doesn't matter that red goes before cube in English, but they made meaning of that. So I think that that definitely transfers into everything that you do because you found a way that, that plasticity of the brain and, and understanding that we're communicating and the rules that we apply to communication and being proper and being in the right order and syntax and all that, that comes a little later Mm-hmm. But I think at that early age, it just really makes an impact um, that is everlasting, I think. That's really interesting because it, it does go back to that re- that research I read when I was thinking about putting my kids in this program on the brain's development of alternative pathways and what they call cognitive compensation, right? That the brain has built with dual languages, with multi-languages, the brain builds kind of a variety of pathways to get to, to access information. Yes. And it makes sense to me that you see that with the kids sort of trying all these different pathways. <laughs> and, and that's its own exercise, right? I mean, that's the brain sort of going, okay, so how would I do this? How am I going to get over there? How do I get across this ravine? Mm-hmm. And so it's problem solving, it's empathy, it's also the risk taking, I think, is a big thing. That's a big part of curiosity, too, right? It's sort of a willingness to go into territory that's unfamiliar and think, oh, this this could have something to offer me. Yeah, yeah. And, and the thing also, Lynn, is that they are doing this at such a prime age. Mm-hmm. So, you know, having to imagine as an adult, I mean, I have studied other languages, and I hope that when I retire, I'll continue to do that. But if I was continuing with my German studies, for example, and I wanted to get up and speak to an audience of classmates, 
let's say, and have to say something, I am, I would be so um, conscientious about, you know, how am I going to say it? How am I going right. to, are they understanding? Am I, is my intonation right? Am I putting all the adjectives in the right? Is the agreement correct? And that impedes the flow of communication, I think, as an adult. And it also impacts me, right, emotionally. I really have to have the, I don't know, huspa to go get up and go say it. But, um, but when you're a kid and you have, okay, you're going to present on your research on dinosaurs. And you get up and you say it. And, and if you, there's a lot of translanguaging happening, right? So they get up and they forgot the word. Um, which is normally not the name of the of the uh, dinosaur. Believe me, they, those are the ones that they memorize. The first. Yeah, right. They may memorize all the little seventy-four um, syllables long. They have them all yeah, down. They have them all down, but they're saying it, and the audience is there, like, okay. And now, you know, you're doing a public speaking. You're getting up and you're conveying a message, and you're gaining confidence. In in you know, you're practicing early on. Later on, we get more. I guess we get shy and, yeah. and, and, and because we have already fully established our L1 and we're looking for all those patterns and am I saying it right? And that's why a lot of people will do a full translation of something they're going to say before they, it doesn't come as natural when you, when you mm -hmm. learn the language a little older or older, but it's definitely uh, the, the brain, brain gym. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, interesting. Well, and the one, the thing that I really enjoyed, you know, as somebody who sort of learned Spanish um, by extension, <laughs> you can't be a parent in a dual immersion program without picking up some of this language along right. the way, because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the kids come home expecting it for one thing, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was also really intrigued with idioms mm -hmm. and Again, sort of that, like, where did they come up with that? Coming back to the curiosity thing of that language is, was another way to kind of get behind the assumptions and the associations that cultures have. Did, they, did the kids react to idioms that way? You know, the, that is one of the hardest things to um, infuse in the program. I have to say that is something that uh, when they're uh, younger, it's a little bit more difficult, right? But I, I think that it is something that, uh, be, because I, a lot of, you know, the program emphasizes teaching through the content. So when you're teaching math and you're teaching uh, you know, science, you know, you're much more about the content. Idioms, you know, are much something more of a, a the social construct. So I, yeah, I do think yeah. that, and we actually, in our curriculum, we embedded certain idioms that we wanted the kids to, to learn. And wherever in literature we were, we found some, because a lot of what happens is that the books that are in translation, they translate idioms directly but it's some of it doesn't connect at all oh, then right? it doesn't make any sense it doesn't make any sense and so to, you can't you don't want to teach something that nobody you go to another country and people right. be like i don't know what you're saying you know why do you need to take a horse to the water why do you you know <laughs> <laughs> and some of it is also related to climate and related to i mean a lot of it is related to so i think that in in and if it would be interesting, actually, speaking of curiosity, it would be really interesting. And you just gave me an idea of something that we could do with, especially our older kids, right? Part of developing the language socially and being able to 
you know, understand the nuances of language involves being able to use those idioms in a very natural way, right? right. It's like, right. Um, but I do think that that is one of the shortcomings, I would say, of the program because of the way the children are learning to talk about math and science, but the social aspect of language has to be developed more in full. Um, but that's, uh, that's an excellent idea. Now I'm curious about how we can embed more of those and, I, and see how kids react to those. Oh, yeah. Well, count me well, in. I would love to. I would love to be part of that experiment. That be <laughs> yes, because it is so. It is so fascinating. I remember that in my English classes, in my lessons, and and learning those because one is to understand what it means, but the other is to understand when to use it. Right. right? Because if you just just want to sound really cool and say something completely out of. <laughs> And that, that really would not, you know, I mean, people would understand graciously that, you know, this is your second language, but, you know, to really be a fluent speaker and, you know, it is knowing when to use it properly. Right, <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Well, and that's, there's a curiosity exercise, right? Like, is this exactly. the appropriate place? Have I heard it used in this kind of a context? That's Why interesting. In this? You right. Know? You know, interesting. when I was um, working as an assistant principal, I remember, I remember, I can't remember exactly the example, but I know once a couple of students who were, you know, developing English, learning English as a second language got in trouble for using some words out of context and they just repeated it. They thought it was uh-huh. cool, you know? So, so when, you know, there's sort of like a social responsibility <laughs> to teach the idiom, but also don't use it, or, you know, or, or you use this with friends, but you would not use it with in, in, a, in a more formal situation, right? And, and that's the, where the sociolinguistical aspect of, of teaching comes into play. Right, right. Yeah. well, that's true with anything. So speaking of playing with words, you want to play with my big jar of wannabe analogies? Why not? Okay, no? <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the educator spirit. Okay, so I have literally this big jar, and I have slips of paper in here, and each one has a word written on it. We're going to make an analogy to curiosity with whatever is on these slips of paper. And... <laughs> All right, well, this is too good. I have to give you this one. Yours is violin. Ah. <laughs> like a violin. Mine is scraps. And we have one for the audience. So um, do you want to go first or you want me to go? Well, then, why don't you go first? Okay. Okay. So hmm. how is curiosity like scraps? Well, scraps are, you know, odd little bits and fragments of things. Mm-hmm. And um, and sometimes we think that they're unimportant. You know, it's like scrap paper. It's it's it, We could throw it away. Mm-hmm. And I think curiosity, you know, we're often curious about little scraps, little bits of pieces of things that we don't know whether they have any importance or value yet. And yet we, we collect them, we gather that information with this idea that someday we might be able to use it. So I'd say that's how curiosity is like scraps. How is curiosity like a violin? Wow. I would say that it gets better the more that you put it into practice. Oh, nice. That if um, it gives you... I, I would say, you know, being curious about the world um, just makes you, for me, it really makes me a better person, I think, because it leads me to um, 
you know, to think past the comfort zone, to think, to take risks, to, uh, and, and that to me is the violin. When I hear my son playing, and of course, over the years, it, he has gotten better and better. Um, but I think it just, you know, it transports me. That's what mm. it does. When he plays the music, the violin, you know, the sounds of it transport me. But, but you know, the violin hanging when he doesn't practice, um, then I get really <laughs> upset because <laughs> so I think that, that it's, you know, you've got to put it into practice. You cannot just have it in a nice case and just ignore it. You've got to be active. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Oh, lovely, lovely. And audience, yours is Christmas tree. How is curiosity like a Christmas tree? Let us know. Facebook, Twitter, hashtag analogy. Well, Marlene, this went way too quickly. Thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for inviting me for the questions. It gave me a chance to reminisce and go back to my childhood and to what brought me here. So, so glad. Thank you. You've been listening to WERA 96.7 FM. If you joined us late or want to catch up with this or any of the other great shows here on Radio Arlington, check us out online and on demand at WERA.FM. You can find all my previous shows on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, MixCloud, and Facebook, all at Choose to be Curious, or on my website at ChooseToBeCurious.com. I hope you'll follow me there and on Twitter at choose number two, letter B, curious. And don't forget to send us your Christmas tree analogy, hashtag analogy. Many thanks to my guest, Marlene Perdomo, whose generosity as an educator is an inspiration. It's a testament to Arlington Public Schools immersion program that my son was eager to chat with her in Spanish at the close of this interview. I wish like anything I'd had the recording still going. Links to Key School, the Center for Applied Linguistics, and all that research on my website. Check them out. Thanks, too, to Sean Ballack, another Key School alum, I might add, for our theme music. And this is Promesa by Mary Sala via Blue Dot Sessions. Dr. Marjorie Meyer, who was principal at Key School when my kids were there, once reminded me that my children would always get more credit for being bilingual than their native Spanish-speaking classmates ever would. That was just one among so many important lessons for me as a parent in the program and as a citizen of the world. As you go about your day, where might you find and honor those who are working, thinking, and viewing the world in high definition? I hope you'll join us again next time. And until then, choose to be curious. I was just saying that you probably have a lot of parents in the audience, some who are making a decision about their, their children's education. And I just want to plug in uh, you know, a good word for dual language programs if you have them, if you have access to them. But if not, any way that you can add another language, you know, even if a little later, after dual language, best choice would be starting in middle school. But by all means, adding another language uh, it really just is... Uh, magic for the for the kids uh, and for their future just as wonders yeah I can really I can really second that hands down the best education decision I made for my children no question
Funding for Choose to be Curious is provided in part by Concentric Private Wealth, where changemakers develop clarity for today and confidence for tomorrow by centering on what matters most, which involves more than just money. More information at www.concentricpw.com. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor. Funding for Choose to be Curious on WERA 96.7 FM is provided in part by the Center for Parents and Teens, where families are strengthened through a connection built through positive communication, mutual understanding, and realistic expectations of one another. For more information, visit www.centerforparentsandteens.com.